I'm Trinidadian by birth. Jump up, jump up. Um, one love. Family immigrated to Canada when I was a little girl. I grew up in Toronto and then moved out here to Fort Mac, um, being brought out for my career. And what career is that? I am an educator, currently wow. a high school teacher. Nice. High school. I want to take us all the way back. And I feel like the best way to go all the way back is to try to figure out what you feel is your earliest memory like what's one of the first things that you can remember okay that's a really great question because i often think about this and um when i think about it i contemplate whether it's my own memory or if it's a memory i'm basing a photograph on a memory that i own for myself would be in trinidad um my family's on the way to the beach we're driving up our streets past my grandma's house because we're neighbors and the mailman is coming down the street and he has a large manila envelope and those were our visas to come to canada that's my earliest memory that i own wow Mm -hmm. was an exciting moment was it something that you were looking forward to did you want to stay in trinidad did you want to go to canada i have no memory nothing of that um i guess my next memory that i own would be um, being in New York because we stopped over there. Um, I remember going to my aunt's house with my family, um, seeing my cousin Jason eating strawberries in his high chair, and she lived close to a grocery store called Pathmark. Pathmark, yeah. Pathmark, that makes far more sense. Um, and then I often, when I close my eyes sometimes, I could smell her bathroom, which was beautiful. Oh, wow, like a good smell. Beautiful smell. Yeah, usually sometimes not tied in with bathrooms. <laughs> no, at all, because I actually can't stand bathrooms. That's a whole other story. Okay. But it's the scent that takes me right back there, and it's beautiful. Immigrating to Canada, to remember, what was that like? How old were you when you came out to Canada? I was seven or eight, so old enough. Um, I left after my, I think my seventh birthday is when we then started our journey. Um, so the early memories of coming here probably surround my school experience. Yeah, so I went, <laughs> I can remember the school I went to, the, some of the friends I made, the house we lived in, um, our first winter. I love winter. To this day, I love winter. Um, fascinating to see the snowfall, right? Um, and then prior to winter would have been the autumn season. And that, to this day, blows my mind. The changing of, I know there's a whole science behind it, but still, it's glorious. <laughs> like, next level. So, um, my father would take my brothers and I on Sunday bike rides um, in around the area we lived. And some of the most beautiful maple leaves and trees so the turning of colors and being from that area in toronto we get like an abundance of color very different to the colors out in fort mac so they're far more diverse and uh vibrant so i remember those things so how was canada what was that transition like for you the people the culture change right so as a little girl um i think the biggest thing was that i didn't have my family extended family right next door because back home, it's super cultural to have your family, like, literally on your same street. So you played with your cousins. You, like, that was your family. Those are your friends. However, we were fortunate that we had um, my mom's sister, who was out here before us. And she had two daughters, one of whom was my age. So we were tight. And then my brothers and I are super tight. So we had that group. Um, generally speaking, I thought it was really great. Like, we had a good experience. I think things kind of changed when I started school and met some really ignorant teachers who like made fun of my accent and made fun of 
our vocabulary. So one of those earliest memories would be, I had this teacher at the school, I was in grade three, or grade two, grade three probably, and um, we were doing uh, a lesson on, in language arts, and it was the question was like, what comes at the beginning of a sentence, what ends a sentence, and I was like, okay, I know this. Uh, capital letter at the beginning, and a full stop at the end. And she was like, full stop that's wrong and I was like no that's right that's what a, that's a full stop and then she's like no and I was like yes and I was like I'll show you so like I remember like walking up very confidently to the board and like drawing it she's like oh we call that a period here I was like okay that's cool but it's also known as a full stop <laughs> go anywhere else in the world and just because you didn't know it was known as something else you're the adult I'm the eight-year-old so take several seats <laughs> right and you know I'm not from out here too so it's like so why are you pretending <laughs> You know, so yeah, that was that. But beyond that, um, the kids were great. It was a really multicultural area, multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-religious. So everything just seemed like Trinidad, right? Because Trinidad is also very multicultural. Yeah, so like that in and of itself was fine. Yeah, so it was a good experience. So how old were you when you started having any concept of I want to be an educator? That's a tough question. I don't actually think I know the answer. So I come from a family of educators, so it's always been around, very like normalized, um, but like a cognizant decision, probably not until I was older. Yeah, because for a long time I was going to be a lawyer, right? But then I also, okay, let me rewind a little. So coming up at around 12, I joined Air Cadets. I'm unfamiliar with that. What exactly is Air Cadet? So historically, um, back in the day in Canada, during the World Wars, we were short fighters. So they started a program um, that began to train young people to join the military. So there are a number of um, like facets. So it could be air cadets, so it'd be air, army, and navy. So nowadays, obviously, we're not in those times anymore, but the militaristic history still exists. So you like learn how to march, you wear a uniform, you shine your boots, you can like carry a rifle, flag party, drill, everything. Like I fell in love with that. So I did that from the time I was 12 till when you have to retire, because at a certain age, you're no longer considered a youth. Once you turn 19, you're no longer considered um, eligible to participate. So for those very instrumental years of my life, I was like hardcore into air cadets. Like I did it. I loved it. I flourished. And was it like extracurricular in school or was it something that you had to do outside right, of school? Outside of school. So like my group known as a squadron, we met once a week. That was like a mandatory night every Wednesday, in fact, um, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Shout out 188 Cobra Squadron. What, what? Anything additional you were involved in through Air Cadets, you had other nights. So I did like, I played the flute. I was in the marching band, drill team. So that would be like a Saturday or Tuesday or other nights of the week. So it was literally like everything. You did summer camps if you so desired. So I did that during the summer. You went outside. You were in the bush. You like lit fires and learned how to do like rabbit snares and like literally the best. So I made, um, I met some of my lifelong friends there with whom I'm still very close with today. Right. So Air Cadets was crazy wicked. So that was outside of school. But then I managed that as well with extracurricular with school. So that would be like sports and student council. And then outside of that, um, I also danced <laughs> like jazz, tap, ballet, acro. So it was all of those things throughout, like from coming to Canada. So I started dance. I continued dancing because back home in Trinidad, I danced. So continued that training and then all the way through high school. 
I'm also from the Caribbean, right? But for me, I know for a fact a lot of people are uh, very sexist and want their young women to stick to things that are more feminine. Did you ever experience that with your folks? No, not in the least. Never, ever, ever. Um, so Air Cadets, yes, you did like marching and you learned leadership, right? But it opened so many doors. So I had, as I got older, I wanted to go to RMC, which is Royal Military College. Um, and I wanted to teach at the RMC. So I wanted to attend, get my degree there, and then go on to become an officer who taught at the RMC. Um, so that was interesting. And so when I decided that that was my path in high school, I had to return for an additional year because I needed my senior level science and math. And in the meantime, um, I decided in that interim, so once I retired from Air Cadets at 19 and then decided to return to high school to get those extra credits that I needed, I decided to apply to the Royal Canadian Military. Um, and in the capacity of just like as a reserve member. So I started the full application. So I did the physical and I did the aptitude test and I obviously <laughs> passed with flying colors. Um, but then my medical is where I got hit hard because I, I get really terrible migraines. So they unfortunately said, sorry lady, you can't come here. Um, I'm also just really, I guess I could have lied in retrospect, but that doesn't, I'm not a liar. <laughs> So I try not to. Um, and so they said, sorry, we won't be able to accept you on those grounds. And then I was like, well, I'm hoping to go to RMC. How would this affect? They said, well, doesn't look too good either. So that's when I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, and that's when, so by this time, it was already, I think, like October. So I was already staying an extra year for high school. So what's it like for you at that time, if you can remember being devastated damn near? Like, is that was it that type of feeling? Like, did it feel like the end or that you weren't going to be able to? Um, do whatever you wanted to do so my parents raised me to see opportunity everywhere so i was really just like yeah shitty right but like let's keep it pushing so you know when a door opens or a door closes a window opens or whatever you want to say so i was just like all right like i've got two choices now i can either apply to civilian university but then i would have to be accepted into the january intake and then i'll miss the whole like beginning of the school year acceptance um, or I could just stick it out in high school keep doing my courses and like finish and then apply and to civilian school and get admitted for the September school year right so I decided to go with the latter and I had the best high school year that year all my friends were gone so I got like awards for having like, the highest marks More. no distractions you just <laughs> no handling business yeah. <laughs> I came really close with two of my high school teachers so down the road, um, one of them, her daughter actually became my made, uh, flower girl. Like we are super tight still to this day. So it literally all worked out. Um, so I had a great time. The year was fantastic. Um, and then I just kind of continued on my path and made my way to university the following year. Um, yeah. So in that moment, going back to your initial question, which I have yet to answer, when did I know I want to become an educator? Um, I finished my undergrad and I, during my undergrad, I knew I wanted to do law. What was it about law? That um, just wanted to be a boss bitch, you know? And what kind of <laughs> law did you want to do? I wanted to fight uh, injustice. Okay. I wanted to be a lawyer for the people, the lawyer for the community. Um, and so I studied political science and history. 
and I love to travel. So I also wanted that international relations aspect to it. Um, but then all this drama happened on campus. Um, oh my goodness, how far are we going? <laughs> this is all the way. Oh my God. Okay, let's see. In a nutshell, um, our university pub passed some really racist rules and policies. And so I fought it. They put into a they put in place a dress code, and dress codes aren't bad, but the dress code specifically targeted our community, right? Um, and and the dude who was running the pub, I knew people who worked with him and what his mindset was like, and things he actually said about our community and like wanting to keep us out because we don't do this and we don't do that, and um, just wasn't cool because he pretended that it was about safety, and so. It was like, I love safety. If it's really about safety, then how about the policy should look like this instead? But, oh, right, you really actually don't care about safety. We already know the deal, so stop fronting. And so that actually um, manifested into some great things on campus. So we had, like, a public forum. I spoke at it. Um, we had a boycott. Okay. We arranged a boycott, the crew and I. Um, we got a meeting with the president of the university. Like it, it went, it was a big deal. It was a, like, it was a crazy big deal. So um, unbeknownst to me, there were others in the room that I really, I didn't know in terms of professors and their involvement on campus, like high levels of faculty. And in fact, it was they who had approached me after the fact and was like, hey, you should think about education. And I was like, dope, okay. And so that's where that decision came in. And I'm a pretty fearless woman. My parents raised me that way. So whether you're the president of a university or whomever, I was just there to speak facts and to bring to the attention the injustice that we're facing on campus and then speak to the deeper routes and work with those who are like-minded to affect change. We know that change takes time. In fact, the university is still changing, but great things are coming from the place I went to, my alma mater. Um, but it was those two professors who are still in my life today that guided me through getting me into the B.Ed. stream, then my master's, and now currently my Ph.D. So it was like literally instrumental. So if I could circle back to your question, probably that was when I was like definitively going into education. And this was still in your pursuit of being a lawyer at the time? Um, it was, it was, because um, I had finished my undergrad, well, the whole incident took place during my undergraduate years. Um, but then having those conversations with those two professors, uh, Dr. Beckford, Dr. Allen, shout out, they probably, I wouldn't say planted the seed, but they certainly watered what was already there. Um, it was then that I said, okay, maybe this is what I want to do, right? Because technically, I've been like teaching since I was a little girl, right? Because I was an instructor at my dance school. Um, being an air cadet, I didn't become a pilot or get my pilot's license. I went the leadership and instructional direction. So then I was teaching every Wednesday night in my age group. Um, and then on campus, I taught dance classes as well as fitness classes. And then I tutored. And then I, um, lots of the volunteer work I did had to do with community and teaching. So throughout my whole undergrad, I volunteered at the Salvation Army working with recovering addicts. 
So a lot of what I did was teaching, right? So teaching was always there, is my point. Was it destined to take me? Probably, right? But all the experiences along the way just continued to um, feed my spirit. Mm -hmm. Volunteering at the Salvation Army with, is this addicts in general, or was it like a specific... Um, like narcotic all it was an all-male facility so they were all recovering addicts what was that experience like so it initially was a lot um, because first and foremost no one wakes up choosing addiction right so that was super humbling um, but more so that these were people these were human beings someone's father brother uncle son friend neighbor and decisions in their lives led to other decisions or sometimes the lack of choice led them to where they were. And that just reminds us that we're all two to three choices away from having a challenging life. I remember I accidentally wore um, a t-shirt that had um, Carlsberg. It's like a name brand for beer. And I was absent-minded. So then luckily the person, um, my mentee, was just like, Jahan your shirt and I was like what are you talking about like it's not revealing because again sex addicts gambling so super non-sexual right I was super like hyper aware of my sexuality in that space and I am a beautiful woman so I had to tone it down right um, but on a serious note I was like shit so I turned my shirt inside out right so luckily um she caught me before I saw the the clients um but beyond that as I said I'm a really confident person so these men were accustomed to people coming and then leaving. So a few, you know, as always, they try to test you. I grew up with boys and again, strong woman. So um, they realized that I wasn't going anywhere and then everything was just cool. These men were lovely. You know, it was hard listening to their stories. And I'm a really um, soft person as well. Um, so my struggle is always, even today, many years later, how to balance the truths of others emotionally and psychologically for myself because I tend to take on and I could that could be problematic in those scenes but um, at the same time it's what makes me me you know and just keeps it 100 with everyone so I developed good friendships in the sense of professional nothing outside obviously um, but in a friendship in the sense that these men came to trust me that I was there with good intentions wasn't there to judge and they taught me a lot about myself and I think that's the important part of learning. It's always like reciprocal. Um, so I didn't come in there with the answers because I didn't know any answers. I just came in there wanting to be a part of something if I was allowed into that space. I led them in different sessions and classes. So again, teaching um, from summer camp where I was a summer counselor teaching. Um, in undergrad, I did some, and I did an exchange program to Ottawa, like a French exchange program, where I was a student, but then I was asked to come back as one of the leaders. So then again, I was teaching. That's what it's all about. It's like recognizing what your path is, but also where your passion is and what makes you feel good and what brings you joy. And um, education is that because I value it as myself as a student of life, but also always learning from others because that's where I think the most amount of learning takes place, right? When you think you know everything and in fact, we know nothing. What is it about it that, you know, now you're at a point where you're being compensated for it. So have you seen any taints or anything that has made it less enjoyable due to the finances or due to the fact that it's like a real job now? Um, I wouldn't say the finances 
have played a part in tainting, I think, in terms of like the system of education, right? Now that you have a different, now that I have, I should say, um, multiple points of view of education, um, you become more aware of the challenges I always knew existed, but also the, the structures that continue to perpetuate the issues that I got into education to fight, right? So in terms of tainting, I wouldn't say tainting, but for me it's probably um, cemented my convictions about what education should be and what it should not be, especially now that I'm a mom, right? So those multiple perspectives or multiple points of view rather prevent you from, it prevents you from being fake about what the system entails. And therefore, as I've been in this career for like officially for a while now, there are things that you have to reckon with. And then this again takes me back to my undergrad days where it's like, hold on a second. This is like an institutionalized issue that has been permitted to exist, yes, but also to flourish, which then hurts so many people, and yet we continue to accept it. So it just reminds me that I might not be sitting down speaking with the president of my university, but I am sitting down speaking to community, which I think is probably far more effective. So it sounds like, you know, compromising. For us, acknowledging the fact that there's some certain things that you may not be too fond of that you kind of just gotta be okay with um no not for me not necessarily be okay with but um realizing that justice and injustice is still alive and that as an educator um the injustice has no place in our spaces so more so digging in my heels and recognizing the importance of continuing the good fight. Just because I'm an educator doesn't mean the fighting has stopped. In fact, it probably has intensified because of my awareness of the system of which I am a part. So it's that insider-outsider perspective. So growing up from coming here with my grade three experience with that ignorance teacher to really working with an ignorant system that's filled with others just like her. But then also keeping my soul alive by also having the pleasure of working with people who who aren't like her right so that balance is there so i think less about um less about compromise and more about finding like-minded people who have access to leverage their privilege to fight injustice as it's cemented in our educational systems in canada it's like i was saying before when you were when you told me about working for the Salvation Army, it's just so easy to kind of ball everyone up into a group, you know? Absolutely. Do you know what's really funny, like, that speaks to my ignorance at the time, is that I actually didn't know what the Salvation Army, like, as an institution was. Literally no idea. Like, literally no idea until probably 10 year, 15 years ago. Um, so that, <laughs> that it's important to note, because for me, it wasn't about what the institution stood for. It was, for me, it was just about... Um, humanity like growing up in toronto homelessness um is very prevalent you're downtown toronto and you see the struggle um so being exposed to that right um again my parents are also very giving people so you know i don't want to use the word charity because that has its own convoluted though i would just say being a good human is what my parents have always taught me so 
you know, uh, things I've done that are super grassrootsy that has to do with my fellow community human beings, whether it's just hanging out and like seeing a person and saying, hello, good afternoon, sir, what's your name? Nice to meet you. Just like literal humanity. Um, And then passing those things on to my children because they see me and they know there's nothing to be afraid of. If you have and you're able to share, then you should, whether you have a slice of bread or a loaf, right? You can break bread with everybody and anybody and we should. So a funny story. <laughs> Like I said, Mike, I have, I have children, I have three of them, and um, you often lead by example, as we should, right? And so it's super humbling sometimes because, you know, I'm not perfect. We're all human and flawed. So um, one of my humbling moments as a parent is like once I was driving and um, someone tried to cut me off and my kids were in the backseat. And they almost not, not cut me off. Sorry, almost T-boned me. And I lost my I lost my mind. So I was like cussing and like my babies were in the back and they were like baby babies oh my goodness yo i was ready yo they were ready to catch all the hands though right right i think it was i don't think you know what i don't think it was fear at the moment i think it was just like anger like how fucking dare you right like you didn't see that big ass stop sign like that means to stop punk are you trying to take me down and my kids are you mad so i remember honking on the horn and cussing and then like for the rest of the year my babies would go honk honk and say what the I don't say, oh shit, right? So then, so now for a good example of them watching, though, because that was humbling as a, as a mom, right? I'm like, okay, I got to be really careful. But a good example of that is, again, my kids are with me regularly. So, you know, giving to the community is not a scene. It's just a thing. It's who we are. So I was once um, at the grocery store with them in town. I sent my son in to the grocery store and I was waiting because, you know, I also like to teach them independence the way my parents did. So go pick up these things from the grocery store. Here's a debit card and get your receipt. You know the deal. So he comes back out and he's like, OK, mom, here you go. He's like, oh, I met this person who was um, ahead of me in line and they didn't have any money or they didn't have enough money. So I just told him, it's OK, I'll take care of it for you. And I said, OK, cool. That's nice of you. He's like, so I tapped your card, mom. I said, all right. He's like, but I didn't know what the limit was like how much am i allowed and i was like well it's like i know you have a lot of money but like <laughs> and i was like it's okay like whatever it is it'd be fine right so he was just so pleased he's like and the person said thank you he's like and the cashier wasn't being very nice so that's why i had to step in I said well we do what we can with what we have so mommy mommy appreciates that and so that's just an example yet again of the same sorts of lessons i think my parents instilled in me subconsciously as a child that now my kids are picking up on. So they get the bad and they also get the good from me, you know? So cuss away kids, but also remember to give. <laughs> Cause there's nothing wrong with cussing. I read this study that says some of the smartest people in the world cuss the most. So I, th I take that, I take that well, <laughs> I'll take it. But yeah, so, so these ideas of um, recognizing goodness in people and not being afraid of someone just because they might be in a different socioeconomic class um, it's something that I've always grown up with, but also making sure that I can impart that on my own children. We're only literally all three steps away. Listen, there are people out there making six figures who are living check to check, period. Definitely. And financial literacy is huge, right? And that's plaguing so many communities. But it's, again, a skill set that we should probably be more adamant about teaching in the, in the school system. Um, but that could really wreck someone right living out here in fort mac we see it right um sure you might be on site working for a pretty number and you might buy all your shiny toys but um has anyone talked to you about investments or 
property. And so um, we must always remember not to judge. Right. And it's hard sometimes because, again, we're all flawed. But I think when we come back to the simplicity of what it means to be humanity, that's one of the lessons we should carry with us night and day. I agree 100 percent. So I didn't attend university, but my sister is still in that process. And um, I had no idea how broke college kids were. I had absolutely no idea. All I see is the movies you never think is they be really that down bad. Like you never really know. How was that? How was that experience for you? What were relationships like at that point? And how were you maneuvering through all these things at once? So I guess let's start with the financial part. My first degree, I was able to attend school because yes, my parents definitely were super helpful but I also took a student loan, right? And with that student loan, it wasn't enough because, you know, it's based on how much your parents make or your guardians on paper. But just because they make a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean that they have piles of money sitting around. So um, I also worked through undergrad. Um, So I was fortunate to find a job on campus, the gym. And that's where I taught the classes I alluded to earlier. That's where I taught dance classes and fitness classes. And then I was also a supervisor at, for like the athletics place. Um, so I did that and they paid well. I'm also not a big spender. Like I'm not into, like I don't like shopping. I don't like like things, not my style. It's not that I'm frugal. It's just that I don't, like I'm not into brand. So those things, like I don't care. Like I'm not a um, materialistic person. So for me, it wasn't about that, you know? So yeah, I worked through undergrad and that went well. Um, And then I spent my money where I needed to, which would be obviously on housing, groceries, right? Um, And we walked everywhere. Um, And then we were broke though. So like some of my favorite meals to this day are my broke meals from undergrad, which is pretty, my husband thinks it's disgusting. I was like, fam, you were there too. My mom was like, what are you feeding them? I'm like, oh, just some rice and butter. Like it's, it's delicious. Throw some, throw a boiled egg on there if you're feeling fancy. So I worked through undergrad, like I said, and then, um, I was fortunate to get my job in the summer between my first degree and my second degree. So then I paid for my second degree myself, which was my BN. And then I got my job as a teacher. And then I paid for my master's myself because of my job. And then I'm on scholarship for my PhD. So it all it all worked itself out. But um, like I say to a lot of young people, don't be afraid to take that loan. Because I'm sure if I didn't take the loan, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. One thing feeds into the next. Be responsible. Because I know a lot of my friends who got money would like floss. I'm saying it's kind of hard. Think you've been broke your whole life. One random day. It's like 20K out of nowhere. You're like, hold on, man. Hold on. Hold Everybody, on. we're going to the buffet. Yes, let's go eat, please. <laughs> Come please, through. Right? Please put the butter rice away. <laughs> Let's go get some food, please. You better leave that butter rice alone. I'm going to leave it alone. The butter rice was delicious. Also, ready? Okay, let me see. If we could afford it. um, So so one of the houses I lived in with my girlfriends, we would do, um, shout out to Alana. Um, We would do spaghetti or like spaghettini, right? With a little bit of olive oil, some salt and pepper, and some Parmesan. Delicious. Bougie on a budget. I should probably write a book. So in terms of the finances, that was that. But again, my parents... Like, to this day, I can call my mom or my dad, like, literally right now and say, hi, mom, I need some money. And she'd say, say less. And she would send me, right? And it's the thing, I think, with parents is that they are always going to be your parents. So, like, I'm grown, like, grown, grown. And I'm like, she's always like, hey, my dad's like, do you need anything? Should we send you some money? And I'm like, I'm okay. Like, are you sure? And I was like, (laughs) I'm okay, mom and dad. I'm positive. However... 
I'm not going to stop you. If it, if it makes you feel good, then like. So it doesn't also help that I'm the only girl in my family, second eldest. But my brothers treat me like the baby because they always looked out for me and protected me. So to this day, it still happens. Um, so that then takes me to relationships. So I mentioned earlier that my brothers and I are like super close and I'm also really close to my parents. Like that's my circle. So going away to school was really tough for that reason because I miss them like crazy. And when I say my brothers and I are close and my parents and I are close, I mean like close, close. So, so that was tough. Um, and luckily though, I did have one of my good friends who was there the year before from Air Cadets. And then I went to school with my girl, Alana, who I went to high school with. So I make friends pretty easily. I get along pretty well with most people. That in and of itself wasn't an issue, but missing my, my brother certainly was. So those relations, they weren't hurt, but I definitely missed them a lot because they all stayed home for university or college. Um, but they visited often and my parents came up with everything I did. And so like, I hosted a lot of like fashion shows and um, fundraisers for the community and my parents would always come up um that support and love was always there um in terms of new friendships i was able to foster some new ones right um and then my two girls from high school we stayed close throughout so they currently one lives in hong kong and one lives in bermuda we're all teachers so we're still close as well um even while i was away at school because i would come home every summer and we would turn up or they would come up during like spring break um and that relationship those relationships were still really solid so i don't have a lot of friends i use that word friends meaningfully so i have a lot of acquaintances but i have very few friends and then in undergrad is where i met my my hubster my current my current hubbo um yeah we met like literally if he were here he would have a different story but mine's the only one that's actually true so he fell in love with me as soon as he saw me and <laughs> that's true though he did you know it's true babe um and that was like first year undergrad and then we've been together since that was like super lucky right and then like i came from a strict family so i really wasn't into i wasn't allowed to have boyfriends wasn't allowed to shave my legs wasn't allowed to go out even when i turned of age okay, i'm gonna put my brother on blast my older brother josh um i remember my girlfriends came to pick me up at my parents home and we were going to jack astor's uh jack astor's is like a like a bar for like 18 and over 19 and over you know like cool spot but like more so had like um what are those games called arcade games so i wasn't a big drinker but um my girls picked me up my brother's outside as my friends came to get me my mom's out there because she knows everyone the crew and my brother looks at my mom and he's my older brother and he's like do you know where she's going and i looked at him and i was like yeah i told her and my brother's like mom there's going to be men there drinking. And my mom's like, what? She's like, get in the house. And I was like, are you joking? And my girlfriends were like, what? And I was like, I'm not allowed to go. Like, mom told me to come in. So I'll see you guys later. <laughs> so was I 19? Yes. Was I grown? Was I legal? But also am I trini? So I said, okay, friends, I'll tell me how it goes. And I'll get my ass in the house. <laughs> and then I looked at my brother and he's like, sucker. But at the same time, I knew he was also looking out for me, right? Because, like, it was a bunch of girls going, right? There were no, like, he wasn't coming. There were no boys with us. We're all pretty good-looking girls, you know? And so it would have been, like, my first type of experience, right? And I think, yes, he fronted like he was being a jerk, but I think deep down. So in that moment, was I hella pissed? Yes. But did I also understand, right? So um, relationships were important. And then, like, just always being protected. So... 
um, when I was dating my now husband, super protective, like his friends were super cool, all protective, like we're all cool still today. So um, having always been protected by my siblings and my older cousin, then having my husband kind of carried on that protection, my parents to this day, if I called them right now, my dad would be here on the next flight. Privileged and spoiled in that sense, but just kind of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I recognized his protective nature until later in our relationship in terms of what drew me to him very much like my brothers and my father. So like, I'm really like, look at me, look at me, center of attention. And he's more like, let me just chill back here. Right. So like, he's super cool, like a cucumber actually. And I'm ready to not be cool as a cucumber right balance right the yin the yang um so he's very personable but once you get to know him he comes across really shy whereas you and i can meet on the street tomorrow for the first time and be like come over for dinner like let's go hang out and you just be like "Mm." right let me just wait it out and see so then i see that play out in our three children as well they definitely favor one or the other at certain circumstances right so my second boy he's very reserved right he's let me hang back he takes everything in. Let me see what's going on. Whereas my eldest is like me. Like he's the one who tapped the card as well. Um, whereas our daughter, um, she's like me. Put us anywhere. We'll land on our feet. Um, and we're going to tell you what we think. And we're going to be strong in how we feel. And we're going to stand in our truth regardless. Right? So she definitely follows with our matriarch, the strong women in our lives from my grandmother to my great grandmother to my mom and even on like her father's side matriarchs as well being surrounded by people as always can influence you and i think in our case it was for the best so far knock on wood right so um never know never know but yeah so i didn't see the protective side of the hubster until probably later on in our relationship um in terms where i can like name it even though i wasn't allowed to have like serious boyfriends i had two boys that like were my puppy loves and they too were the protective they too are still in my life as my besties today as well protective in a way that wasn't overbearing or controlling it was always came from a place of love not from a place of power the whole power thing is not my vibe you know um don't really mesh well with that but more so um okay so let me give you an example so i traveled a lot as well right like, um to the motherland right so tanzania um egypt Morocco, Ghana, visited places like that on the continent and then throughout Europe, so like Western Europe, so France, Spain, Norway, the Netherlands, and some other places, and then the Caribbean. Coming to my example of feeling safe and being taken care of, it's so, I think you're 100% right. I think I just had an epiphany. Like it really is something I've been drawn to without realizing it because I never question my safety when I'm with certain people because i only hang around people that i feel safe around i never realized that so like even my my boys from back in the day 100 percent like they were all men's men in the sense of traditional understanding of protecting a woman so on one of our travels uh the hubster and i before we became married we were we were in france and um super long story short we were sleeping outside okay no hotel space no nothing and (laughs) this is oh like loved it though right so um so we fully slept in a subway station we got a cardboard box we flattened it out we put it on the platform and for those of you who know me like i love to sleep put me in the olympics for sleeping so talking about being safe like i legit curled up and went to bed i thought he was sleeping too the whole time so like years later we talk about he's like i stayed awake the whole time 
I was like, you did? I think I snored for eight hours. <laughs> right? But it's this idea that, like, I, I just knew he would never let anything happen to me. In another continent, in another country, sleeping with our fellow mates who don't have somewhere to sleep for the night, you know? Um, so I think there's that aspect of trust, which comes from respect. And then that leads into allowing someone else to be a part of your life in a way that you depend on them, right? So that was kind of magical. So yeah, there you go, epiphany. It sounds like I could probably be uptight. I had morals and rules, yes, but I was also just like super chill, you know, because I just never had an experience of not feeling taken care of. So I think that's maybe my privilege. I remember one of my like puppy love boys saying that to me, you know, like, you're so spoiled. But I never really understood the perspective he was coming from until later. Always being taken care of. I think because I also never had to struggle. So although I never really drove until like later on in life. So I never, I, I didn't know how to need or want. So that love was real. Yeah, so we've known each other for a while. And we've been married for, we've been together for a while. We've been married for a while. So coming up on more than two decades. So it's been intense. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. That's beautiful. Congratulations. <laughs> for real. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I know how much work it takes. It's not an easy thing to do to just be in a relationship. Like it's just like you have to do a lot of reflection. You have to do a lot of like compromising and you got to understand a lot, even compromising the littlest things like living on my own. Now I know how much more time I need before I get into a serious relationship. It could be something as simple as like squeezing the toothpaste from the middle instead of the end. You figure out what grinds your gears. I think I think the difference, though, not the difference, but to add on to that is like coming up with my brothers, right? Like we knew how to push each other's buttons, but like knowing how to communicate with my brothers, it's much different than communicating with my partner. Like I'm not going to punch my man. Yeah. I think that communication is something that we're always working on because we're not, we're, we're not hundred percent still. I don't think we ever will be, but I think it's about committing to always communicating. Right. Um, right. And you know, sometimes I don't want to put in the effort and I know sometimes he doesn't want to put in the effort. And sometimes when we're both, not wanting to put in the effort at the same time, that's where the nonsense can happen. Though it's better when one person wants to put in the effort and the other one isn't, so that way one can carry us through. Um, But we've been through those spaces where neither of us want to put in the effort at the same time, and those are tough times. But I think also, I remember taking a class in high school, it was called Family Studies. And part of the class, we were learning about sibling position and how that can impact your romantic relationships down the road this idea of the reciprocal nature of being in a relationship whether it's platonic or romantic so so i was like well what am i in this for and what am i giving in return right the give and the get so whether that's like companionship or friendship or whatever so i remember reading a book um that i was given my husband and i were both given as an engagement present from an uncle of mine and initially I was hella pissed that he gave me a book because I was expecting like a fat envelope. I was like, what the hell? You know, like, what do you, you know, I have enough books, right? You know, I have a library card. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you know, put a little sticky note on the money and be like, yo, try to read this book. Right. So once I got over myself, um, it was the book that spoke to love languages and we read it separately and then we read it together and it definitely opened our eyes so it teaches you what your love language might be so how you show love but also how you receive love and um obviously there are flaws within this theory no theory is perfect hence a theory but what i took away from it was that just because i can express love a certain way 
the person on the receiving end might not feel that because that's not how they feel love. So that element of communication with your partner, it's like, how do you feel loved? And then am I willing as the other person to bring that to the table, right? Um, and if you continuously tell your partner that I feel loved when XYZ takes place and your partner refuses to love you in those ways, then you got a choice to be, you have a choice that you need to make it. You know, is this person willing to learn? Because they've never had to love like that, right? So do you have that grace? Do you have that time? Are you willing to teach? Are you willing to learn? Um, so our love languages are different, my husband's and I. But continuing, we have some overlap. But generally speaking, it's very different. Again, from how we were raised, right? 100%. Like, right? I remember turning like 18, 19, be like, oh, so... Being smacked over the head is love. Like, that's what that is in your eyes. Like, that's how you are expressing it. Definitely not how I'm receiving that <laughs> at all. But Right? So understanding each other is so important. But also, like I said, that communication piece is key. And then also, I think this aspect of, um, for me, and I know a lot of people disagree with this, and they're free to do so, but... I don't believe in this notion that two become one. I do not believe in this notion that this person completes me. I feel like we need to be complete whole humans before we find a person that we are choosing to share with. Two, um, I don't want to become one. I am my own person. Sure, we, are, we have things that we do together, that we enjoy together, but you also have aspects of yourself that makes you a discrete human being. So I think being, I think it's where that respect and trust comes in. So it's okay, you're chilling with your boys. Like, are you chilling with your boys or are you chilling with your boys? You know, for us, I think it's also, um, like we talk about this all the time, you know, having that space to like still be yourself. And sometimes I'll come into that space with you, but I also recognize that it's your space. And in return, I need the same thing, you know? So um, we wouldn't have known that if we didn't talk about it. If you're too afraid to talk about it, then I think that speaks volumes about where you are in your personal journey and in your maturity and maybe the work you still need to do with yourself, right? Because maybe the fear of speaking truth might um, result in like losing rather than gaining, depending on, you know, glass half empty, glass half full perspective. Do you think you can be in a healthy relationship without having that full concept of yourself? Mm, good question. Yes and no. I think you could be if that other person knows that you're still on your journey. And I think that's part of the healthy communication, right? Because that person might say, okay, yeah, I see you. I honor your space. Um, I'm here if you need me on this journey to guide you to where you need to be, right? Um, but if you aren't self-aware and you think you're there and you're coming into a shared space without first looking at yourself, then that could be really toxic. I'm still working through stuff about myself. You know, like it's it's an ongoing journey. And I think with your partner, especially someone like my husband, because we've been together for a while, like you have to be vulnerable enough to, to take in what that person's saying as well, because they've seen you not just like for a couple of years, you know, when you put on your cutest outfit and you're your happiest, but they've seen you, they know your family depending on your relationship. So he knows my family. Um, I know his family. Um, but also like knowing that we're each other's place to come back to, even when we don't like each other. Right? Because like, I love him. 
but oftentimes I like literally can't stand them. But I think also on a serious note, it's like having that person want to see you be your best version of yourself. And sometimes that comes with like heavy truths, you know? Um, but it's almost like if that person cares about me, then that person's going to keep it a buck. And that person's going to encourage me to be honest with myself. I need that person to call me out when I'm lying to myself. Because I lie to myself. I don't lie to others as much, but I lie to myself a lot. Knowing that when I go to him, he will tell me the truth, even if it's not what I want to hear. You know, because I'm, even with my good friends, I'm like, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You tell me if I'm being ridiculous or if I'm not. And like when I actually say that, my, my people know I know, like I mean what I'm saying. So you need to keep it 100 with me as well. Like, no, Jahan, you're wrong. Like, this is why you're wrong. Like, what are you thinking? Right. Or you're somewhat, you know, you're in the middle, but blah, blah, blah. So again, communication and trust and respect and like that mutuality is necessary. Were you already employed as an educator before you and your hubby got married? Yeah. Um, so he knew that I didn't want to get married early. So he waited until he denies this, but I have a very, I have a very clear, vivid memory of where we were when he first brought it up. And in retrospect, I think it was a bit of a biatch just being like, what? Ew, gross. Never. Meanwhile, and then like layers, I'm like, oh shit, that wasn't very nice. He asked, he proposed. Yeah. He proposed just when I finished my, my B.Ed. In fact, he proposed the place where we met. So that actually was very beautiful. So then we moved out here together and then I worked here for a year. And then we went home to get married. Oh, yeah, right out, right out of university. I got recruited by HR to come out. That's when we were still looking for teachers. We're engaged. We are moving to a place polar opposite of where we've been living. And we're starting a new career. So it sounds like a lot of new beginnings all at once. Yeah, but I think, to be honest, like for both of us, we're just... It wasn't a big deal, you know? So, um, yeah, just like, okay, cool. Like, so when I got the job opportunity, I was at work. I had my interview on campus. I had work that day and I needed, I had a sunset clause on my, um, on my job offer. So I called home first, said, Hey mom, Hey dad, this just happened. What do you guys think? And my parents were like, we're happy for you. Do whatever you think is best. And then I called my then boyfriend. I was like, guess what just happened? And he's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't even know. I was, like, I was like, what do you think we should do? And he's like, go for it. I said, all right, cool, say less. And that was it. So then we came out. So funny story. <laughs> My life is filled with funny stories. So basically, we were planning on driving out. That was the intention. Um, pack up the car, get all our belongings and come through. However, the information I got from HR, they made a mistake in terms of the date they needed me here. So what ended up happening was, let's, I can't remember the exact dates, but let's say I was supposed to be here the initial date they told me was the Monday. Then like, oh, just kidding. We actually need you here the Thursday. And so I was like, shit. Uh, okay, cool. We'll make it happen. So then I took a flight here by myself. But I had like the issue was that my housing wasn't going to be available till that day. So I had called them like, hey, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. Can the manager meet me and like give me the key? They're like, no, sorry. They're out of town. Da, da, da. And I was like, fuck. Right. So I don't want to tell my parents because my parents would tell me you can't go. So I was like, OK, I'm going to get on the plane and I'll figure it out. That's also my personality. I'll figure it out. Like it won't be too crazy, whatever. So I travel, like I told you, I travel a lot and I have fun doing random things. So I was like, whatever, this must just be an airport, like Pearson. I'll just sleep in the airport and just like take a cabin and like, whatever, I'll be chill. So the airport wasn't as it looks now. 
and so it wasn't 24 hours either oh wow so you had to we closed i wanted you to go ahead and get up out of here we yeah. are closed <laughs> So there's a man on the airplane, this older gentleman, okay, this West African gentleman, and I like befriended him, just as my fellow black dude, you know, black brother on the plane. Chatting it up, I told him about my plan, and he was like, he was the one who was like, actually, the airport's closed, and I was like, shut the front door. So then I was like, shit, like literally, like, what am I? I'm like, oh whatever, I'll stay at a hostel. He's like, they don't have hostels here. I said okay, and I was like, well, how much is like. A hotel and he told me the number and i was like well i don't have that much money right so then i was like what am i gonna do so this man was like you can just come sleep at my place <laughs> so at first i was like in my head I was like, okay cool i can do that and i was like oh my god what if he's gonna kill me so i was like okay cool thank you so much like what else am i gonna do and this was before all the development as well so then like i get the cab with him oh so what year is this uh, this is 2009 so the cab drive from pearson uh from our airport out to here because he lives um or he lived like close to holy trinity i was just like i'm gonna get killed because it's like i'm in the middle of nowhere and i've never been here either and i didn't know anything about this town okay at all anyway lo and behold um i told hubster boyfriend like this was good like this is the apartment took pictures like i took pictures of the man his house was like immaculate so i was like i was like oh my goodness if he's gonna kill me there'll be no blood anywhere like so i'm like leaving my hair in places <laughs> just in case so i was like i slept on the couch i took a butcher knife with me under my pillow and i don't think i really slept right and i was like okay i can do this it'll be fine he was the nicest man took me to church with him it was nice and then it worked out fine but i to this day i never told my parents because if my parents, if my parents knew, so I hope you're not listening. If I, but I hope you are. If my parents knew, or my brothers, I wouldn't be allowed to come, right? Um, so even my hubster at the time was like, bad idea. Like, don't do it. And I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's, I got a good vibe. He has a kid. I can beat him up. Like, I work out. <laughs> like, I'm agile. Like, I can do this. I am gonna be fine. And so it literally did all work out. He was the nicest man ever. I was super thankful. Um, so yeah, so that was my story coming out here. I mean, this is your introduction to education or into format. So like at least education in a formal standpoint, like employ. How was it? Did you think education was gonna be this way? Did you think the job was gonna be the way that it was? So I'll start with saying that I was pleasantly surprised with the um, multicultural aspect of the community i had no idea i didn't realize how many toronto mans were out here i didn't recognize um the linguistic diversity the cultural diversity so i felt really um pleasantly surprised so that was nice um some of the communities i would take a run in though scared me because i would see the um what's the name of that scary flag oh the confederate flag I would see yeah the i've been seeing flag. it out here yeah i remember when i first moved out here i was like am i still in this thing and why, why are you flying it proudly so I literally remember being on a run, like up in Timbo, and it was like proudly displayed in people's windows. And I legit was like scared. I said, what the absolute fuck? So I like obviously beelined out of that neighborhood. Um, and then I remember, you know, having some interactions with kiddos who had the flag on like their guitar or like their backpack. And I remember just being like, hey, like, tell me about the stuff on your backpack. And then they got to the flag, I'm like, oh, what's that called? say oh it's the rebel flag and i was like the rebel flag tell me what that means to you so they would tell me and i'd say oh okay like have you actually heard of the confederate flag They're like no what are you talking about and so then i would share and my intention wasn't to make the person feel bad 
but my first intention was to first understand what they thought the flag meant and then to then share with them what it means to the majority of the rest of the people around right and then that kid was just like devastated right and I was just like yeah I just you know thought you should know and so they were just I had no clue blah 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 I don't believe and I'm like oh no like I'm not judging I'm just here to share because I just wanted to know what you thought it meant as well right but then there are other circumstances where you know you meet people out here who are of those ideas and do believe in those sentiments and are you're like okay cool like do you I'm gonna do me but um that was a reality because I had never really had to deal with that before coming from the GTA. Sure, you knew people were not all about everyone, but no one was actually like sporting the swastika. No one was like drawing it on their like school books or like etching it into the walls of your building or on the desks. Like that wasn't a thing. Needed to be kept on the low. Mm -hmm. You just switch it up when you come outside. Whereas here, it's like way outside. So that was a definite culture shock for me, that aspect of it. And I think to today it still is because you still hear people, right? Even in buildings um, and you meet their parents and you're like, interesting, right? Um, but again, you know, it takes you back to remembering that everyone gets their beliefs from somewhere. And not everywhere that we're getting our beliefs from are good places. But willingness to examine our thinking and then be willing to change comes down to the person. I think that comes down with love, not with hate. I think that's the best way. Otherwise, you're off-putting. And even when someone's coming to me with something that I thought was truth, I'm more receptive to what they're going to say if they step to me correctly. So I would like to offer, you know, as best as I can, simple, simple rule, you know, um, but beyond that, I think generally speaking, um, it was welcoming when I came out here in terms of where I worked and the people who took me under their wing. Um, granted, along the way, I saw things for what they were. Um, that wasn't all butterflies and cotton candy. Um, and I continue to have to deal and grapple with those differences and discrepancies. But generally speaking, I will always say that Fort Mac has been good to my family and I in terms of opportunity um professionally i our division has some of the best professional development opportunities so most of my friends are in education and like when i tell them what we do here in terms of what we have access to they can't believe it great opportunities great funding um great access to things there's support for it you're you are encouraged by all of your higher-ups to continue and to pursue and they back it up with funding and that's where i think Right? Money where your mouth is. So um, how many years down the line are we getting ready to bring life into the world? After coming out here? Yeah. Like becoming a mom? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, one year later, 2010. So again, my, my mom and my dad are always really open. My whole family's really open from a young age, from like understanding sex ed. You know, like sure, we talked about it at school, but we learned about it at home first. My mom or dad, specifically my mom, was always like to all four of us, my siblings and I, come to me first. Any questions, you come to me. Anything you need, it's me. And so um, both of my parents instilled that in us as well. So as a mom, I say the same thing to my kids. Now becoming a mom, I'm super excited, um, looking forward to it, wanted a big family. The husband and I both wanted a big family. By big, I mean like 10 kids big. Um, and so... Our journey was really straightforward, really easy. We're really like lucky in that sense. I don't believe in luck. We're really privileged in that sense. Um, 
And I remember because that was the year um, World Cup, South Africa. So the Husbo was actually in South Africa because he was doing media for it. Um, and I remember him being like, oh, my goodness, I should because we we're going to have the first ultrasound super early in the pregnancy. Right. I can't remember how old you are. I'm really bad also with numbers. So. A lot of moms are like, oh, yeah, it was like the 17th day. And I'm like, I don't know. Whatever the first ultrasound takes place early in the pregnancy. And I remember being like to him, oh, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. You'll be back for the major ones, right? So I remember being at work. I took off like a couple of hours. I brought my marking with me to the hospital. And then I remember thinking to myself, it's going to be like what I see on TV. They're going to show me this little blip on the screen. And I'm not going to be able to see it. So it was small, right? So then I'm out waiting. They call my name. I go in. They do their thing. And I didn't, we didn't want to find out um, the gender. Um, and so the technician was like, oh, would you like to see the baby? Or whatever they said. And I was like, sure. So I'm like prepping myself not to be able to see anything. But then she turned the screen around and I can see the full formed baby. This wasn't like the 3D ones that people do nowadays. This was just like the old school. I was actually... Um, I might cry right now because that was the biggest moment, I think, for me. I broke down. Like, it was, like, um, just a whole nother level of reality. And so I, I was there. I think I cried for, like, 25 minutes. And I just kept saying, like, like it's a miracle. I could not freaking believe what I was looking at. I was, like, in my stomach, right? And I wasn't, like, I wasn't, I wasn't showing either. So it was, like, How? Like, what, who, where, why, when, you know what I mean? And so she's just, like, holding my hand. God knows I probably put her, like, an hour late for the rest of her day. But she was so kind. I don't remember her name. If I did, I would say hello. But um, so that was beautiful. Like, literally the most beautiful thing ever. And each pregnancy, I was always in that same state of awe, right? Because, like, whatever we believe in, whatever deity, whatever name, Whatever the fact remains is that is a miracle. And so that was really humbling. Um, and then when the baby came, I actually almost lost him. I had an emergency C-section. So that aspect was tough, right? Like whole nother level. Um, but I had gone home to Toronto to have him. So I could be with my parents and my brothers and be surrounded by everyone. Hubster came as well. And um, baby was late, I think, in terms of the date we expected. So the original birth plan was to have a, a natural birth. I didn't want any drugs. I wanted to have a vaginal delivery and just like make it happen. And so, you know, you have the conversations. I did the yoga. I did the, all the good stuff to be ready. I was still teaching dance and really active. So I was like, oh, I got this, right? These muscles, let's go, right? Um, but then, so funny story. So I'm at my parents' house. My older brother's home now as well. Everybody's at the house waiting. Everyone's excited. Um, Hubster was at the house for a few days. And we're like, baby's late. You go home to Brampton. Say hi to the family. If anything changes, they'll call you. That night, the water broke. Right? Like, literally, he didn't even make it home. Turned back around and came back up to the east end to where I was at. Um, but the funny thing is that both my mom and I had like complete hysterical giggles. Like we both forgot everything we needed to do when the water broke. Honestly, my older brother, the one who like baited me out and didn't let me go to Jack Astor's, he came up the stairs from the basement and was like, why are you guys being so stupid? Get in the car. So um, like legit, I kept, I woke up, went to the bathroom. I thought I was peeing myself. And then I called my mom. My dad was right there and it's like, like called them from their bedroom. 
And I was like, I can't stop peeing. Mom was like, oh, are you peeing? And I was like, I think so. And then she's like, I think your water broke. And I was like, shit. I wanted to be like the big explosion that I would see on TV, but it's a little trickling. So we had already practiced our route to the hospital. We knew everything we needed to do. Bags were packed, so on and so forth. So mom and I are giggling now. I'm like, should I shower? She's like, I don't know. Are you allowed to? I'm like, I don't know. Should I shave my legs? She's like, I don't know. Do you? Like, we're literally in the bathroom, like doubled over laughing. Josh comes up. He's like, get your ass together. Get outside. Time to go. So we make the phone calls. Everybody shows up at the hospital. Hubster's there. Record time. Thank goodness he didn't get a ticket or anything worse than that. So, um... Everything started off good, but then the baby's heartbeat dropped, and then they needed to do an emergency C-section. So that was scary. Um, it was super scary. Very, 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 very scary, especially because the operation table, they had me tied down like I was Jesus Christ on the cross. Part of it, they, they, like, they stabilize you, right? Hubster was with me like at my head, and I remember looking at him, and we thought the same thing because I was like, I'm about to be crucified on the cross. So they put up like a sheet. They did their thing. Um, the epidural was crazy because I didn't want any drugs, but I had no choice in the matter now. Um, lo and behold, everything was fine. Baby was born. Everything was good. Um, and that was beautiful. So my husband really wanted to be a father. I really wanted to be a mom. So we shared the leave from work so he could be with the baby. Um, he took care of me so well obviously because he's just a great person at times um <laughs> and um like midnight feeding he'd be up uh skin to skin with the baby he'd be up like just everything and so we were blessed for that experience and my parents would come up to help my brothers would come up to help again super tight family so this is how that tightness really played out um right and at the same time my brother jonathan one right below me in age, right after me, I should say. Uh, he was also becoming a dad in like three months. He became a dad three months earlier. So our kids are close in age. So the same way Jonathan and I are close, so are our kiddos, which is really nice. Yeah, so that was the first experience into parenthood. Scary, yes, but also like not scary. Then the healing after the emergency C-section was crazy. I had a hard time healing. So I stayed in Toronto for a while. I couldn't lay down. I couldn't go up the stairs. My dad had to lift me off and up and off the toilet no it was just the fact that I don't heal very quickly and um yeah my muscles just didn't didn't do well after so but again my parents were great hubster was great so my brothers were great so that all worked out really well I can't imagine not having them there you know um yeah and the baby was lovely he's lovely you met him he's now not a baby anymore but uh funny thing at brunch today he said mom I want another sibling. And I said, okay, you already know what's good though. So, you know, and so we talked about different options. Um, and he's like, no, I think I want one that's like fully blood related. Cause we're talking about adoption. And I said, well, the only other option for mom is a surrogate mom. Is that okay with you? I was like, do you know what that is? And he's like, right. They'll take dad's sperm and they'll take your egg. And then I was like, yeah. And then another woman. And he's like, Ooh, that might be weird. So that was a that was a conversation today. Yeah. So it's hilarious that we're talking about it right now. So at the end of the day, he said he's in. I want another sibling. Okay. I said, okay. Like, so that way when I'm 26 and they're 12, they'll love me forever and they know and I teach them everything about life. And I said, okay, now you got to talk to your siblings and see what they want, right? 
anyway, so um, then we continued to have kiddos, and we were fortunate um, to have all healthy babies. And parenthood has been great. Humbling, tough, frustrating, right? But also, um, like, in a weird way, like, it renews you, right? But it also, for me at least, makes me very, like, cautious about people. So now I'm understanding why my parents never let me sleep over at somebody's house. For me, though, it's more because I know of the realities of disgusting people. And, like, the, those numbers are high. The statistics are high. And I would, it would be done. If anybody ever messed with my kids, I'm, listening, I'm telling you guys all right now, you know where to find me. The end. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not messing with any of the opportunities. I'm not doing it. So um, I get why my parents were like, absolutely not. Right? Your friends can come chill here. No one's sleeping in here. And you're not sleeping nowhere. So that's just what's good, you know, because then you you recognize, you know, not just as a parent, but you are more aware of the realities of our world. And if I sure, you know, my kids have to learn some things on their own, but there's some things they never have. They need to learn. So this is one of them. So no one's messing with them because it will be a wrap. Like literally, like I don't care if it's my father, my brother, the priest, my uncle. My husband, they're fucking dead. I'm killing all of them, period. So on that note, um, it just r reminds me of how much like my parents had to carry with them anytime we left the house. Yeah, it's humbling. It really is. It really is. And then like, man, oh man, I, I'm lucky to have great parents. Like they talk to us. So that's something I carry on with my kids. Really open. Come to me first. Good, bad, or ugly. I will deal with whatever I need to deal with. You will be held accountable, but I also love you always and forever. So uh, the kids know that and they come to us with everything. Right. And I love it because it's funny, humbling. You're like, you know, when they come, then the husband and I are like, holy shit. <laughs> Already they're asking this. They're 10. I'm not ready. But, you know, together we deal with it. So that's nice. So, um. I know there's lots of examples of motherhood with a career, like those two things tend to either flow perfectly with one another or they'll cause the demise of one another. So what was that experience like for you? Um, I think I took a page from my parents as well, and it's just about balance. I think having a good partner where we're both there for each other and for the kids and carving out space um, and asking for help when you need it right there's no fear in that there's no judgment um none of us are superheroes right so recognizing that i'm going to make mistakes along the way um but i think for me the biggest challenge and i would vocalize this to my parents and to my husband because that's who i would talk to right most is at times probably how long ago maybe maybe three-ish years ago, I felt as though when I'm at work, I have all the patience for everyone else's kids. But then when I came home, I was out. I was on empty. And that was horrifyingly disappointing for myself. I remember talking to my mom, right? And just being like, mom, like, I feel like shit, right? Talking to my dad, talking to my husband, to my brothers. And I'm just being like, it's okay. What can you do? Right. And then I just realized that I needed to. Like when I come in the door and this is why I would feel this way. So I would come in 
um, often husband's home before me with the kids. So I'd come home and they would just bombard me and I just couldn't. And I realized all I needed when I walked in the door was 20 minutes to myself. And then I'm there. It took me a while to realize that's what I needed though, right? And it was only because I spoke to the husband, most importantly, because he was the one seeing it all. So I'm like, how are they not behaving like this with you? You're home and they're chill. Then I'm home. Like I would literally stand outside the door to listen to see what was happening inside first. Everybody's chill. There's no fighting. There's no yelling. There's no screaming. Everybody's happy. Then as soon as I walk in the door, I'm like, what the absolute fuck just happened? Like what? I was like, guys, you know? And so like, I was on 100 already anticipating the ridiculousness I'm going to walk into. Right. But then I also had to realize that I'm also... I can, I'm not really good at compartmentalizing, like, noise. Like, husbo can blank it all out. I need it. I need you to be quiet. Like, I need you to be quiet right now. Like, don't look at me. Don't breathe on me. Don't talk to me. Just leave me alone. Whereas they could be, like, breathing and yelling in his space, and he's just like, la, 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 la. Meanwhile, I'm like, you know? So um, I've learned to recognize when my blood pressure is rising and therefore I could be proactive about it. Husbo has recognized that like when I come home, he's the one who suggested, hey, just go have 20. I'll keep the kids. And then I get out of my work clothes. I take a shower. I literally relax. And then I'm all theirs. So for me, it was about finding out what I needed. And once I got it, I was fine. You know, so in terms of like balancing career and motherhood, not really a big deal. But just that like space to decompress was important. And the kids get it, you know, especially now they're older. It's like mommy just needs some time, right? The same way you might need some time for me not to bombard you when you've had a long day at school. And so like I would say, I'm like, mom wants to hear everything you have to say. I just need a minute. Let mommy get out of her work clothes. Let me grab something to eat. Let me chill for like literally three minutes. And then we're then we can sit down and hang out all night long. So figuring out what I needed and then asking for it part of the communication piece um not selfish right some some people might think that's selfish but I would argue that it's not because that's part of the self-care I can't be the best version of myself for my children if I'm not showing up for myself right and that's a balance so husband was really great um kids understood and it worked out well so far so good so we'll see the biggest thing for us again, is communication. So the kids have been taught to communicate well too. So we use a lot of like, describe how you're feeling, why are you feeling that way, what do you need? And then we kind of work through it together. It has to be. But it teaches them as well though, that they're valuable and that this is how you show love and also how you love yourself. So that's always great. Did teaching change at least your perspective or expectations on it from, you know, moving out to Fort Mac first time in 2009 and then up until now? Like, do you view teaching in a different way? Um, no, I don't think so. I think for me, it's just been mm, all about the same thing, which is the kids, right? So the, the, the children, their families, the community. So that hasn't changed. Like I always expected that to be it. Um, none of those things have differed. I think maybe what's just become more apparent is the continuing to fight against injustice and making sure all kids have opportunities, right? So that's always been my thing. Um, I think maybe now I just know about other ways to connect with other like-minded people who are also fighting for the same thing. So that way we can be more impactful with what our end goals are, which is again, always the students. Mm -hmm. 
since we've reached where we are now, uh, I want to double all the way back to the beginning. And I want to say, what would you say to that little girl in that car seeing this mailman with this manila envelope walking down the road? If you had anything to say to her, what would you say? Keep being yourself. You got this. You know, there was never any hesitation or fear or discomfort. Um, Again, because I was just so rooted in myself because of my upbringing. I just say, go for it. You know, I go home all the time. So we're still connected to our roots haven't lost ourselves and our culture, um, figure out, figured out how to balance both, you know, the nationality of being Canadian whilst being also Trinidadian. Word. That's beautiful. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. Very, very grateful for you being here. Learned so much about you. Extremely grateful for you being so vulnerable and, you know, just transparent and sharing your story with us. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. What up, shorty? Hey, niggas up mad early getting that paper, huh? Oh, I got a bag, my son. What happened? Thursday, I got a bag. Well, what happened, son? This nigga got a fucking Who? Yeah. What you doing? Shot this nigga. I got still working. Shit's just getting hot. Shit. You don't need it. Red. Alright?